0: Big Swinging Stocks acknowledges the traditional custodians of Australia's lands, skies, and waterways, and pays respects to Elders past, present, and emerging.
1: Hi, and welcome back to Big Swinging Stocks. I'm Alex Nikolic, your host and founder of Broke Girl Wealth. (laughs) And today, we're having a not-so-special guest, Rob... From Self Wealth.
0: Rob, first of all, I don't sound like that. And second of all, that was the most self deprecating intro. I'm excited to have you here. Do you want to tell the folks who you are?
1: Okay, okay. No, I'm not Alex Nikolic, but that was me doing my best Alex Nikolic voice impression. I'm Rob. I'm the guy who does the content and the brand lead at Self Wealth. I'm usually the one in the background who is staying muted and with camera off, making sure that everything on this podcast is going. Swimmingly, I'm not like a sidekick to, to Alex because that would mean that I'd be doing more than I actually am. Not her Robin, I'd be more like her Alfred. I'm just sitting there, oh my God. With the guy in the chair, <laughs> being like, Yes, and maybe we can change this, tweak this, and hopefully bringing you all a podcast that you love and enjoy.
0: Well, everyone should be very, very excited for this episode because I have been begging Rob to come on the podcast and Rob has told me about a million times that there's too many white men on podcasts, but I'm really pleased that you've joined the audio side because you do so much to get this pod off the ground in the background.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I have succumbed to being yet another white guy in his 30s who is going to be on a podcast, but... Look, recently, sometimes we'll do those solo episodes, Alex, and I'm um, sitting there hearing old no mate Alex do the little solo. You're a little bit lonely on that. So I think Aww, for some of my mate. we were going through some of the self-help data, I might just be on here to help you out and we can talk through it together.
0: Well, everyone, make sure you like and subscribe to really show Rob how excited you are. Has I need joined. these
1: metrics. These are the only numbers that I live by. Please like That's and right. subscribe.
0: Millennials love a bit of external validation, so make sure you give it to us. This episode has sort of been on our minds for a really long time, Rob, and we've often talked about on the pod how people invest, but often it's in the context of people who are still on their wealth journey. A lot of the people we interview are still trying to get to their financial independence number. But this week, we're actually digging under the hood of existing millionaires and how existing millionaires invest, and specifically the ones on self-wealth. But it's really interesting to me because when you cut through the numbers, did you find quite a consistent approach amongst generations or was it very diverse?
1: No, it was really like interesting because they all invest in their own little specific, unique way. So what we're doing is we're looking at the data from the first calendar quarter. So we're looking from January to the end of March and I've pulled data on all of the South Wales millionaire portfolios. And as you say, going down through generation and look i'll go through some of them by generation and then probably get some context from alex because i have not been investing as long as alex i think i've been like i was early to crypto but i was late to stocks. so i've only really been in the stock market for a couple of years now through my self-wealth tenure so i'm gonna i'm gonna come to you i'm gonna lean on you for some insight is that okay so the boomers starting with boomers are gonna boomer like if i look at how the boomers that say the entire cohort of self-wealth are investing boomers generally more risk averse right than the rest Mm, that's fine consistent yeah Mm -hmm. but they'll have say some players and some lithium a lot of pilgrim minerals those types of things CXO which is called lithium and they might be a little bit more speculative maybe but then when I go to the millionaire portfolios that are boomers if we're looking at their top 10 holdings it's pretty much a carbon copy of the ASX 200 by market like they've just got like the BHPs and the Rio's The only one that is in there that is not in the other top 10, which is one that's called Neuron Pharmaceuticals. And I'm just Googling this on the fly to see what they are up year to date because they've been soaring. Yeah, they're up 62.26% this year.
0: Wow! And Neuron Pharmaceuticals. I haven't heard of that one before. What's the product? What are they making?
1: They're in Biopharma. So it's Biopharma that's relating to brain injury and therapies and This could be one that's like invest in what you know and invest in what you know is a very relevant, pertinent fact. And this Neuron is a company who's made some advancements and I'm not exactly sure what it was. I've come across them before in just general stock research and knew that they were coming up to get something approved with the FDA and then seeing that they did get it approved on the FDA and that 66% spike, 62% sorry that I was talking about before, all happened pretty much on one week. So from the 10th of March to the 17th of March, they've gotten one of their treatments approved and zoom, shut up.
0: The really fascinating part to what you said about the fact that boomers have pretty much have carbon copies of the top ASX companies. It does make me wonder how long they've held those stocks for because have they bought them once they were already established blue chip stocks? And to be fair, for some of those household names like BHP has been in the top ASX 100 and now ASX 10 for, well, a good 20 years, I think. So if I, said I need to know what the tenure is, like have they held these stocks before they were ASX darlings or have they invested in them because they were really strong dividend plays because the top ASX 10 are all aggressive and consistent dividend providers. And for boomers, for those who are basically in their preservation stage of their portfolios, who are kind of just looking for a consistent income, that makes a lot of real sense as well. But the Neuron Pharmaceuticals is a very interesting satellite acquisition because it's obviously a growth play. They wouldn't be as a company ready to yet provide a dividend. But is there another company that they've all been obsessed with?:
1: There's one interesting one and it's extremely boring. Like, as I was speaking to the normal cohort of the millionaires, and look, they've got VAS and I've got some other ETFs, maybe some A200 and, and all the rest. but the only ETF that I can find in those like top 20 for the millionaires is AAA and it's just cash. So it's, as we're saying that like, they are the most risk-averse, that's definitely where they're sitting.
0: I think there's also perhaps a, given the time period we're looking at is January to March, another consideration is that we're coming off a very hot market. And so for a lot of them, just moving that money, they might have sold out of some of their loss leading or perhaps some of their more speculative plays, dumped all that money into AAA. So it's sitting in a higher interest ETF, but they haven't extracted it from their brokerage. And they're just waiting for the right price for another stock. I mean, this is all speculation, but I think it's really interesting to see that they've actually just moved it into cash, which was what a lot of the market did as we came off that growth cycle. So it'd be really interesting to see if that turns into a sell play as the market starts to creep up. Like that would be a very interesting little thought experiment to see what they're up to. How millionaires are investing,
1: and we'll look. I've done this for one quarter. We'll do this for the next calendar quarter coming up. I'll see you again for another chat in three months, Alex. And I'll be able to let you know what that like buy sell ratio is on them.
0: What do you reckon AAA is returning? If you had to guess,
1: if I had to guess, cash at the moment, high interest cash. We're coming into a high interest environment. I'm going to say five percent.
0: Oh, okay. So the current. It's a monthly distribution. This is also important to remember. So it's constantly changing. The current interest rate is 3.69% on AAA. But the 12-month distribution was 1.9%, which I think is actually higher than what you would have gotten on average in a bank account. Because for most of last year, it was like Mm 0.25 or something, some
1: pittance. Yeah. So I'm sure most of that like 1.9%, that's just like pulled up from the last few months that we've had Reasonable interest yeah. rates in terms of savings. Yeah. The good on one way, the bad on the other side. You're getting a house, I'm sure you're aware.
0: <laughs> yeah. So last month's distribution in that ETF was 2.2%, and that's pre fees and pre tax. So that's interesting decision for our yeah. boomer millionaires. Any
1: investors looking at that, like triple A, just to clarify there, they will be getting monthly dividends, which would be similar to having a bond, uh, like a, a government bond or anything else. Is that?
0: Well, bonds are debt products to corporates or to government. So the bond is you become the debtor and the government or a business is in debt to you and the distribution that you get via a bond is the interest rate on that debt essentially. The reason it tends to be quite a consistent form of income is because big corporates and government don't tend to not pay their bills, but it also tends to be quite a lower return form of income because it's fairly consistent. Interest rates on debt tend to be quite consistent. A though invests in cash deposits. So it's essentially, I mean, it's not exactly like a bank account, but I think that's the best way to think about it is that you are invested in Australian cash deposits and you get a monthly income distribution, which is There's a whole technical infrastructure around this where it's more than the bank bill swap rate, but essentially it's a slightly elevated interest rate.
1: This is why I need to be here to just challenge you with random questions that most people, including myself, won't be completely (laughs) au fait with.
0: I don't know. I think lawyers just love reading contracts. So it's all set out pretty well on Betashare's website and there's other ETFs as well that do cash ETF products. But like I said, I wonder if it's because they've moved that money out of some stocks and instead of taking it out of their brokerage and investing it into their bank account, they've just put it straight into an ETF. Now, obviously, unlike a bank account, you're going to be paying brokerage fees and there's often account or ETF management fees associated as well. So, it's something to think about when you're sort of looking at that interest rate is those other fees that are associated. But let's move down the generation a little bit, Rob. What are our parents doing? Actually, my parents are boomers. So that's not really relevant to me. Um, I kind of think mine's yeah. still
1: Gen X, actually. Really? Well, oh. Just 60. Does that mean she's... No, she's, she'll be a boomer at 60, surely.
0: Does she display boomer attributes? That's the best way to think about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, this this podcast is definitely about my mother and her attributes. <laughs> but yes, yeah, she's a very old lady at heart. Down to what the Gen X investors are doing. Like we say this a few times with that the Gen X cohort are our most tech heavy cohort. Mm. And what I mean like that is that they are the most invested in those types that are um, Apple and Alphabet. Blue chip tech that everybody would be familiar with, but not so much on the Facebook side. These are people who have probably, especially because of their age and millionaire status, they've been investing through the dot-com boom and bust. I think they would have made a little bit of cash during that, or maybe that they had some high conviction with an Apple and Alphabet or those types of stocks, Alphabet and Google, because I've seen returns from them before.
0: Yeah, whereas Facebook is a newer... And there's also speculation that Facebook flew hard and fast and might be declining.
1: Yeah, a little bit of an Icarus mm. situation. But who knows? And this is also where I'll drop in yet another warning that none of this is personal financial advice. And please come and see a personal financial advisor before you make any investments based on what we're saying here. But the Gen X side very heavily invested in those tech companies. Apple, Alphabet, Google are the big ones, but they also have made some plays within that first quarter into some of the financials and banking stocks that we were seeing a bit of an uproar with over the recent maybe 60 or so days. So Bank of America was a big one and Citibank was another one that they were invested in heavily.
0: Interesting as well that compared to the boomers, the Gen X seem to have a far more internationally diversified portfolio. Like the boomers were heavy on the ASX and Gen X seem to have gone for a, a more American slant to their investing. The other thing that's quite interesting is The millionaire cohort, at least for these two generations, and I'm interested to see if this is consistent for our millennials and our Gen Z as well. But quite a lot of good picks, like they made picks early on in their investing journey, because presumably Gen X, let's say if they were investing in Apple, even in the early 2000s or even in the 2010s, you would have still made a huge return. There's a lot of unicorns there. And the same for boomers as well, whether they were investing once BHP and Macquarie Bank were good dividend players, or if they were investing earlier when they were on the up, really quality choices is what I'm seeing. Like quality companies that have consistently good business cases, management and diversification of products, like Apple was, everyone thought was going to be an iPhone one hit wonder, their services arm is now bigger than some companies on the S&P 500. If AirPods was a single company, would be bigger than some companies on there, which is crazy to think about how well they've been able to establish these other revenue generators so they're not just reliant on iPhone to make bank. Although iPhone does make bank.
1: Yeah. There's another point there in terms of those investments. So if we're looking at from January to the end of March at those top investments, three of them are those US top tech stocks. So Apple, Google, we've got third, which is West Bank, and then we've got Microsoft, which is in fourth. But if you look at the number of trades spread across them, Apple has nearly three times, I'd say, the amount of trades as Google, which is in number two, and then things even out and kind of drop down at a more regular rate. But it's Apple that is so far ahead in terms of those trades.
0: And buy-sell ratio, is there a slant?
1: The buy-sell ratio on there is, maybe I could I could represent this in terms of the amount of money that was going through them on March. So I'll have to do this one from memory. But the value of all of the trades that went through Apple was $120 million AUD and I think the buy-to-sell ratio there was about 55 or so percent buys. I might have to go back to some notes, but it was was around there. So people were taking some profit because, look, NASDAQ hasn't been performing for a while. Now that it has been performing, some people who have got in might be wanting to take some of that cash to try and take a little bit of earnings when they can or take an opportunity when they can. And I think that is also, it ties into why we're seeing Bank of America and Citigroup in there. They saw that drop, some of them dropping like, multiple so or like 80 percent, 90 percent in a day i've seen that and i've bought in i mean like they're saying it's worth taking a punt if they're seeing a company that they have deemed to be a strong company good governance etc but going at a cheap price buying the yeah. store hats in the winter
0: i think that's perhaps the takeaway is not so much which companies people have invested in because again this isn't about personal financial advice but buying in at a really good price for a very good company because Microsoft in particular, if we take as a case study, was trading almost 30% down from its high of 2021 and that's a solid performer. Most of corporate America and Australia have Microsoft products. It's on a subscription. It has a phenomenal business revenue model. Now it's expanding into AI. Buying it in now at a bit of a discount and then, still seeing that it's a quality stock is a really, really interesting lesson to apply to other companies we might be researching. Like not just buying it because it's a good company, even if the price is too high, but buying it when the price is right. And there might be some growth there, but you're still looking at those fundamentals like management, moat, is it, does it have a long-term tailwind, recurring revenue? Is it going to outperform price predictions? I think there's a lot of really interesting lessons to learn there from Gen X. Clearly, some of them have had these stocks for a while, selling them down, taking profits. But equally, we're still seeing more buys for these tech stocks because, to be fair, a lot of them have had a bit of a reduction in price given inflation concerns and stock issues are still impacting sales. Okay, so our generation, what are we doing? How are we making millionaires, Rob?
1: Our generation, the millennial millionaires, which is hard hard enough to say, geez, first time in a podcast. Uh, Millennial millionaires (laughs) are taking some riskier approaches. So I'm Mm. going to need some of your insight here and some of your thinking around some of these things. Look, Mm. if you are a millionaire and you're a millennial, then you might have enough cash to throw around to be a little bit riskier. So I'll preface it with this. And I'll also say that within these top stocks, there are some... Of those classic Vanguard funds. So we still have some of those ETFs. But what really struck me when I was looking at these is that the top four investments throughout that quarter, they're all ETFs because millennials, gone a millennial, mm. but they're shorting or leveraging stocks. So we've got Global X's mm. AlNAS, LNAS, we've got BBOZ, we've got GEAR in there as well. What's your view towards people? getting into investing and then buying into these stocks, buying into these ETFs.
0: Considering some of these millennials are millionaires, you've got to give it to them that they hopefully know what they're doing and perhaps are a lot smarter than me. I think the... Unlikely. No, no. There's something to be said for perhaps you, you made the point, right? Have they got the cash flow and the existing net worth for these riskier plays to kind of be a super small part of their portfolio that they can afford to be speculative. But that's really what this is. LNAS, BBOZ, GEAR, SNAS are all leveraged ETFs. So essentially ETFs that give you the ability to go short or go long on a stock. The idea is that they're either positively geared or negative. You're basically banking for each of these ETFs on the market doing well or the market doing poorly and you kind of are making a bit of a punt there about Mm. where it's going to go
1: now alex i want to just put you on the spot there for a second can i get you to explain how some of these products so the shorting and leveraging products work and how we think maybe those millennial millionaires might be using it within their portfolio and you know just what the risks are associated
0: yeah. Maybe let's take an example because these ETFs do work differently and they mm-hmm. do have different exposures. So let's take BBOZ, yep. which is the Australian Equities Bear Hedge Fund from Beta Shares. Now, Bear wants to give you returns that are negatively correlated to the Australian share market. So essentially you profit, If the share market goes down. So here's what I mean by that. You buy BBOZ. If the Australian share market falls 1% in any given day, your stock value is going to be, I mean, BBOZ give a range, better shares give a range, but it's basically 0.9 to 1.1% increase in the value of the fund in the value of the stock you're holding. So you're, you generate a return if the market goes down. I think a nice contrast to bear just to show you sort of how diverse this range of ETFs is that these investors are looking at. GEAR is the geared Australian equity funds. The idea behind it is that a lot of people in the past have purchased debt in order to buy shares. Mm -hmm. And if the value of your returns from that portfolio are positive, you have a positively geared share portfolio and you can have a negatively geared one in the same way that you can buy a house with a mortgage. Same concept. ETF gear allows you to do that with beta shares managing the debt on your behalf. So the idea is it gives you geared exposure. That's why the ETF is called gear. Basically, if you invest $1,000 into gear, beta shares will invest roughly, and it depends on the day, but between 200 and 286% of the fund's net asset value. So, you're basically doubling your investment into the stock market. But Now, this sounds phenomenal, amazing, because when it's doing well, you're doubling your returns. The problem is that if the stock market declines, if the value of the underlying stock declines, you're doubling your decline as well. well. St- yeah, yeah, that's going to hurt. So the thing with a lot of these products, NAS, Bear, Gear, is they are not, 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 not long-term holds. This is really, really, really crucial because a lot of people have really gotten into this mindset of like set and forget ETFs. That is not the vibe with gear, BEAR, Nas. The mm-hmm. idea is that they are short-term plays. You are making a prediction about the way the stock market will go and you are betting that you'll be able to make a significant return on that. But they are super short-term like, Beta shares actually says you should be monitoring your portfolio daily wow. if you are using these products. So like, they are-
1: we, we, we often speak on this podcast about like in, in investors, you know, it's kind of like a decades, yeah. not days, long-term approach. Yeah. This is more something for if you are a trader per se, which we yeah. wouldn't recommend to anybody who's even in their first few years of this game, you know.
0: You really want to be, I mean, these products aren't gatekept by the ASX in the same way that like shorting a stock Is or options and contracts are, but they're kind of in the same league because they give you access to significant magnitude of increased returns, but a significant magnitude of increased losses as well. So if you look at the returns for some of these funds, given the stock market has been so volatile, in the past year, GEAR has returned 0.1%. But again it's intended to be a short term product. Now, what's short term? It's going to depend on your strategy. It's going to depend on which one you're buying. It's going to depend on which way you think the stock market is going and obviously what actually happens. But I would really, really caution anyone who's dabbling or just starting out in sort of jumping in and buying one of these because unless you fully understand them and unless you have quite a sophisticated idea of where the stock market is going, you stand to lose far more than you put in.
1: Okay, so uh, headline title for this podcast is Boomers Beat Millennials by Investing Only in Cash.
0: Well, yeah, the last couple of months. 1.9%
1: return is better yeah. than the, the, the super fancy <laughs> year return yeah. of in the points, you know? Who would have thought? Yeah. Thank you for that, for indulging me when, and, look, educating me about those geared and leveraged ETFs. And, look, we'll just come away saying that not for the faint of heart, those ones, but some of the other stocks that we are seeing those millennial uh, millionaires invested in, they, they love themselves some lithium. They've got the Town Resources, so ticker code LTR, Pilgrim Minerals, of course, which is very big within the self-wealth cohort. But there is another one. So it's a little-known lithium company called Leo Lithium, trading under LLL, which has had some big inflows into it, which is interesting for a stock that hasn't returned too much the year to date. For up until January 30, it was having a big run and it spiked a lot. But from that high, it's dropped and lost most of those returns. And it's only really up about two. 2.4% 2.4% year to date, which look nothing to shake a stick at, but goes to show that sometimes we are seeing some big plays into some companies that aren't always returning as well. Look, if we look at the five-year return for Leo Lithium as well, it's pretty much the same. They started in in, in June 2022, so it hasn't been a hell of a lot hell of a long time within business. But to date, the company has only returned around about two or so percent. It just goes to show not not all of the ones that we're speaking about here are going to be winners, like not all of the stocks that we're covering people have made big plays in. They're not always going to be making a whole lot of cash.
0: The really interesting thing for me about lithium is obviously it's off the back of the clean energy transformation. Everyone, I think, that's interested in this area knows that lithium is quite a key component for batteries, which are the way where the world is looking to go. The interesting thing for me, though, is lithium has been the headline mineral for the clean energy transformation from a battery perspective, but it's not the only component that goes into a battery. Like there's been a lot of marketing and media and like obsession around getting in on these like mineral, like lithium miners at an early stage and perhaps having 15,000% growth if they hit a gold mine. There's like two things that are happening. One, a lot of people are investing in exploratory miners. So these are miners who might be getting contracts in particular lithium rich or intended to be lithium rich parts of the world. And then you're banking on them actually finding as much lithium as they think they're going to find. So that's the first thing. A lot okay. of these miners are super early stage. They're operating heavily on debt a lot of the time. And there's always a big risk there about how much lithium are they actually going to find.
1: You're saying there can be some some media hype around a company that comes in, they're saying, look, we've got access or rights or we've signed a contract to explore this yeah. one area that we're saying is going to be so full of lithium that everyone's going to profit immensely but that there is the one note there that investors need to know that when a lot of noise is being made, there can be hype associated.
0: Absolutely. And I think there's a really good quote I saw about you should always invest on the rumor and sell on the news. That's just like the most difficult to enact, right? Because the idea is that you get in on these companies if you think they have a really, really solid case and if you think they have a good balance sheet and good management and they've, got research backing them. But in the mining context, buying on the rumor and selling on the news is near impossible because you are then fully committing to a speculative play. Mm -hmm. You're fully saying, yeah, they've got a contract to explore. Yes, early geological studies are saying you know there's going to be great returns here, but what is it actually going to net out? And is there actually going to be a return? The other part of it is, I did say, I think before, Lithium is not the only component that goes into batteries, but there's been so much hype about lithium that all the other components of batteries like copper, graphite or graphene, I should say, have kind of been ignored. And I think that's important as an investor to your point. Think about where the hype is. Is it justified? And then think about whether there are adjacent opportunities. Now, is that an ETF like ACDC, which invests in Battery tech and clean energy tech.
1: And which you're you're in ACDC, are you?
0: I sold out of ACDC. I used to invest in ACDC.
1: How well did you do off it?
0: Not terribly. Like, I think I made about 15% when I sold out. And the reason I sold out actually is because I wanted less, I wanted, sorry, more concentration because ACDC is obviously an ETF. It's heavily diversified, it invests in a bunch of different companies and a bunch of different sort of sectors that are adjacent to battery tech.
1: Yeah, that was something that I thought first coming into this. ACDC means lithium, means minerals. But then when I was looking a while ago at the actual top holdings that Mm. ACDC is in, a lot of car companies, so I think it was even BMW was one of the top holdings. So you'd get into it assuming that the top holding is Pilbara, core lithium, something like that, or maybe Tesla in some way, but it really isn't.
0: No, it's not. ACDC is a great example of it's a thematic ETF. And you've got to be careful with thematic ETFs that you know what the underlying index or the underlying holdings are, because the headline of the ETF is battery tech and lithium. And those two things were occupying a lot of media hype time. There was a lot of articles being written about how lithium was the next big thing. But again, I don't even know who Solar Edge technology is. That's 5%. That's the top holding in ACDC. Then it's BMW and Mercedes-Benz. Now, both of those car companies are looking into clean energy tech, but they're not the first names I think of when I think of battery technology. So It's just a caution for all of us, I think, to look beyond the headline, look at what the underlying holdings are. And that was for me why I sold out of it because I wanted to concentrate into some companies that were in this sector that I thought were going to profit from clean energy. But, yeah, so think about the headlines. I think it's very easy for all of us to get sucked into a really good idea. Mm -hmm. It may not align to your investing strategy. It may not even align to what you think it's going to be invested in
1: yeah i think uh we had michael kemp on recently and he was speaking about say economists and i think their ability to actually predict things i think his advice was strongly worded but nicely worded that when there is an economist on tv he likes to just go and get a cuppa instead of paying attention but (laughs) something that can be somewhat indicative to look at in terms of things like if it's lithium or iron ore just have a a general view of commodity forecasts and what other people seem to be saying around the sector like yeah like lately some of those lithium stocks haven't been doing as well though they're being up and down and look china's a a large producer of lithium and Mm -hmm. of lithium carbonate should i say and they had like a drop in price like a steep drop in price and china doesn't always influence what's going on within australia but often can but just having some view on what's going on in that macroeconomic space could help inform you're investing before you go. Absolutely on stocks.
0: And also, like, think about the moat. Lithium batteries are one type of clean battery mm-hmm. tech. There's obviously a huge threat there if technology advances and they become completely obsolete. So I love that point around thinking about the macroeconomic factors and just everything else going around the industry or the stock you're investing in that might influence price and return and growth and some of those assumptions you have when you are investing and researching a particular industry or a particular stock. Definitely. I like them.
1: All right. We've gone through boomers. We've gone through Gen X and we've gone through millennials. We'll go to Gen Z millionaires, which shouldn't be a real phrase, I don't think. But look, It's but-
0: somewhat comforting when I saw that you said there's only a few of them. I was like, oh, yeah. thank goodness. So I'm not that mm, behind. Exactly. I thought the same life. thing.
1: <laughs> and look, the, the, the comforting stat around here is that there are not Enough of them to be statistically relevant. Like we've only got a handful of them. They are mm. all male. They're all living in Sydney. And they are all only invested in Vanguard products, which is nice. Nepo like babies. That, yeah, That's that, what it is. <laughs> the portfolios that they have, though, they're not going doing BBOZ or anything else that those millennials are mm. very like risky in. Like all of those portfolios are just a nice, stable set of Vanguard products, mm. which is nice to see.
0: Yeah, clearly the impact of Warren Buffett is filtering down to Gen Z. Not as risky as perhaps thought, because if you had said to me, which generation do you think, based purely off media speculation, Mm -hmm. (laughs) horoscopes, is going to be the most risky, I probably would have said Gen Z. Although in retrospect, thinking about it now, especially your comment around cash flow, millennials are in the sweet spot. Most of them are working full time, probably entering True. management or at least higher paying jobs, which means they have the luxury of cash coming in in order to then also be able to do yeah. some of those more risky. Whereas Gen Z are just entering the workforce, like max 27. They're probably still establishing themselves in their careers. So it's nice to see them doing something very good for their Wealth.
1: Mm. That ties in as well with what Kate Howitt was saying on that episode. Great episode, by the way. Kudos. Love that chat. But she was talking about, say, if you are a millennial, then think about your earning potential in terms of your mm. risk, right? Yeah. You have capacity to earn a lot within your lifetime. That should be factored in mm. to what your your risk is.
0: I'd never heard someone actually, like people often present risk as a spectrum when you're starting to learn about investing cash is on this side and then you've got bonds and you've got stocks and you've got leveraged DTN, you know, and it's sort of like an escalating risk profile, but no one had ever talked about how you articulate your own risk as a factor. Like she just basically said, when you're younger, you've got so many more years of earning mm that you should absolutely factor that earning into how you extrapolate your risk position because the boomers are classically doing the opposite of that, which is their earning potential, like their own, I'm going to go out and work a nine to five. They're probably all retired by now or at least nearing retirement, which is why they've picked stocks, actively picked stocks that are going to do the income earning for them. Whereas millennials, you know, you can do these high conviction plays If you understand them and if they're you know aligned with your if strategy, you yada yada, yeah. yeah, because you've still got a full time job and that pays the bills. The portfolio is not there to pay the bills yet, whereas for boomers, it absolutely is there to generate an that income. That is their
1: main source of income, probably. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All right, we've been at this for long enough. This is turning into uh, just weekly podcast whip with us just talking (laughs) about general stocks and things. I'm hoping this has covered a lot of points on how different millionaires are investing. Maybe not a look at how the other half living, but at least what they're doing with their portfolios. And thank you for guiding me through some of it. I'll leave the outro to you, the professional.
0: Oh, Rob, as our resident data expert, or my data expert anyway, I found this episode really interesting because I think... People are investing in a lot less complicated and a lot less sexy things than we might think. There was a lot of big household names there. And, you know, yes, the recipe to becoming a millionaire depends on who you are and how old you are. But I think the fundamentals are the same. People have invested consistently, they've invested in quality companies or low cost ETFs, and they've stuck with it. And they've managed to make a living in the case of our boomers from just picking a good strategy, picking blue chip stocks and going from there. And we're going to continue on with our invest like a series because I think it helps people see behind the curtain. And if you've been loving our invest like a blank series, you should like and subscribe on whichever pod platform you're on and share with a friend so that your friend can be a millionaire and you can be millionaire pals.
1: Maybe possibly in the future, general advice warning that but- You're not familiar
0: now. See you next week. Thanks for listening in, folks. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Selfwealth and operates under AFSL number four two one seven eight nine. As general advice only, because we can't take into account your personal objectives or financial situation, you should seek independent professional financial advice before making any investment decision. For more information and our financial disclosure statement, check the show notes.